take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 6. Well, it's good to be back. Um, most of you know that I was in Idaho uh, speaking at camp with my son's youth group this last week, and it was a, it was a great week. Uh, it was a, it was a wonderful week. I preached uh, eight times and add in the um, probably an hour to review for each sermon. And then praying for those campers, praying for people in the church, and then trying to do sermon prep for today and, and different things going on. It was it was an exhausting week, but it was a wonderful week. And then, you know, you try to spend the afternoons with the kids, right, while you're there. Lest you think I was actually sacrificing and there was no self-interest, that wasn't the case. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday was 75 to 80. So Tuesday we went wakeboarding. That's my daughter-in-law on the boat. I didn't try to take a selfie. My, you know, that wouldn't work. My phone would be at the bottom of the lake. But uh, the camp was on Lake Cascade in Idaho, which is a 22-mile-long lake. Just beautiful location right in front of a big ski resort and stuff like that. And uh, so Tuesday was great. Wednesday we went on our hike, and Jordan told me before I came there, he said, well, we're going to go hiking and I remember the hike last year. We started at 6,000 feet and worked our way up. And so I brought my hiking shoes and my shorts and lightweight clothing. And he said, oh, by the way, we're going to go to a different spot. And we start driving. And uh, we, we drive off the, to this road, and it ends. Um, and we start driving on uh, rock. And we drive on gravel, and we start to climb this mountain. And I'm watching the temperature go from 75 to 65 to 60 to 55 to 50 and um, on the way up to where we're going to hike we see some snowboarders from california and they're snowboarding up there and we finally stop at 8,000 feet and hike down to a mountain lake that was at 7,700 feet and uh, so we're we're kind of underdressed there's still ice that's ice on the lake just to let you know just a beautiful location where we were in idaho and then, of course, being in the mountains on Thursday, it was 40 degrees and sleet. And that's just the way it works for a camp. But it was, it was a wonderful week. It was great to catch up with some of the kids who got saved last year to see where they are this year, to encourage them in the Lord. It, it was just a wonderful time. And then to get to minister with my son and daughter-in-law was just wonderful as well. Well, we had VBS going on this week, and I, I nightly, uh, Christy sent me a report every single night of how it went, and some of the stats that were mentioned by Rachel, but we had 126 kids registered, 70 different families of children, so that, that was, that was pretty neat, and it, it's just a, it's a vital, it's a vital, children's ministry is a vital part of the church. And so I want to talk about children today and, and children's ministry, if I can call it that. And um, I want to uh, approach it from the part that, that we are to steward a, a gift of God that God gives us in our children. In the last few months, I've read some alarming articles about the decline of Christianity in the United States. These articles affirm what we can readily see happening in our country. Gallup released a major report including this bottom line. 
U.S. church membership uh, was 70% or higher from 1937 to 1976. And then it began to fall modestly to 68% in the 60s through the 90s. And from the year 2000 until now, there's been a precipitous drop-off in the number of people going to church to where uh, it's only about um, 50% of people now regularly attend church. That 20 percentage point decline since 1999. There, there are a number of factors for that, uh, including a decline in birth rates. The, the birth rate is plummeting in the 19, up until the 1960s, the average uh, woman had four children. Now it's down to less than two. A desire to have uh, no religious affiliation and eroding confidence in organized religion and a general lack of commitment to any kind of an organization by younger adults. During the decades of the, of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, Protestant denominations benefited from the positive social capital that could be gained by going to church. If you went to church, it was viewed as a positive in, in the community. Community. This continued into the 80s and 90s, but you be, we began to see some cracks in, in this facade in the 90s, and it was most prominent probably in the Billy Graham pr- Crusades. Uh, that, was a, that, was, that was the first indicator that people began to see that things were changing because up until the 90s, people who were not saved and had no church affiliation were more than willing to go to a large evangelistic crusade. By the time the late 90s, early 2000s rolled around, the, the Billy Graham Crusades were being uh, attended primarily by Christians and by church members. Evangelism, and, and lost people were not coming to these things anymore, and evangelism is changing. We have to retool the way that we think about evangelism. Evangelism now is going to be much more of a one-on-one and personal affair rather than, hey, come to our church, we have a wonderful church. That doesn't work like it used to anymore. A lot of these things we can't do much about. This is a larger societal trend. These are things that are happening in our, our country, but there are some things that we can do something about. And that's what I want to address today. Recently, Christianity Today had an, uh, an article entitled this, Only half of kids raised in Southern Baptist stay Southern Baptist. You might say, well, that's all well and good, but we're not Southern Baptists. We're an independent Bible church. Some of you might think, well, we're better than them. No, we're not. But what I want to point out is that there are a couple things in that article that we can pull out because they are directly applicable to our church today. For example... Uh, for the most part, in the 80s and 90s, Southern Baptists could expect 71% of children raised in the church to remain in the denomination. Most recent figure, I think, is from 2016, says that only 51% of children raised as Southern Baptists will stay in the denomination or stay in church at all. And so you might ask the question, well, why is that? 
What, what, what is going on? And I, I believe that uh, there's a, a direct application to the way that we do church ministry and the way we think about church uh, today. And I want to uh, pull a quote from Al, Albert Moeller, who's the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He said this. He said, we have surrendered Sunday school and youth ministry in many of our churches. And what did he mean by that? What he meant was in years past, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, the Southern Baptists and many Protestant denominations were known to have a very strong Sunday school, very highly attended Sunday school. It was a, it was a commitment for people to come to Sunday school. In addition to that, uh, churches had youth programs during the week, uh, royal ambassadors and, uh, and all these different other programs. You can name them one after another. And there were many wonderful and faithful adult volunteer as well as faithful youth ministers. But this is no longer a case. You, you have multiple choices of churches now that don't have any kind of Sunday school. Uh, you just show up on Sunday morning and then you maybe have some small groups. And, and while that may not be bad, there, there are some problems with that. And um, I want to point out one. Christian Smith, who is a researcher on this sort of thing, uh, pointed out that one of the distinguishing marks of young people who continue their church participation as adults is that they had developed a warm and trusting relationship with an adult. Other than their own, just one adult makes a big difference. And so when you have no Sunday school and when you have no uh, midweek kind of children's program, meaningful children's program where your child or your teenager can develop a meaningful relationship with somebody other than their parents who's a believer, then you run into trouble as a church. Uh, your children spend a lot of time in the school system and, and that, that can end up being where they develop their meaningful relationships. And so as a church, as a whole, we need to make sure that we're setting up the, the appropriate programs and um, tre- trellis, if you want to structure, if you want to say that, so that we can get that accomplished. Parents, I'm speaking to parents right now of young children, of teenagers. Do you want your children to continue in the faith? Then one of the things that help is to make sure that your children are regularly exposed to adults who have a genuine walk with the Lord. Let me translate that just a little bit. Bring your children to Sunday school. Bring your children to the children's programs and youth programs. It won't happen otherwise. The number of younger people who attend church has fallen off dramatically, and I believe that it is caused in part by churches abandoning stuff like Sunday school and weekly children and youth programs. Sunday school and age-graded programs have two benefits as I see it. First, children receive regular biblical instruction outside of the home. That's good, isn't it? But secondly, and there's a better chance that they will develop a relationship with a teacher or an adult who loves God, who will encourage them spiritually. And so I think these are very important things. But I didn't come here to make a shameless plug for children's programs or for Sunday school in our church. I'm here today because I want to 
um, teach and train and preach and encourage people to live out their Christian life and train a new generation of young people to love the Lord. So what I want to do is go and talk about biblical principles about children and their training. And I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction before we get to the passage that Paul read just a minute ago. First of all, if you want your children to to have a warm relationship with Christ, to stay in the church and to grow spiritually, parents need to understand, first of all, that they are stewards of God's gifts. Every single child is a gift from the Lord. Isn't that what the Bible says? And so many of you have had a chance to steward multiple gifts of the Lord. Psalm 127, verse number 3 says, Behold, children are an inheritance from the Lord and the fruit of the womb. A reward. Our children are literally gifts from God Himself. There's an interesting passage I want to associate, and it's not the nicest passage in the world. It's a prophetic passage, but I want to show you how what God actually thinks about children. What does God think about the little ones that are in your house? I want you to know this. This is from Ezekiel. During Ezekiel's time, God... uh, condemned the people in Jerusalem for sacrificing their children to idols. And this is how he worded it. Look at what he said. He said, And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you had born to who? To me, to the Lord. And these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered whose children? My children. And delivered them up as an offering to a fire of offering to them. Now think about what he's saying here. Literally, parents, what God is saying is this. Our children belong to God, and He is just loaning them to us to train them up and be stewards of the gifts that God has given to us. Is that not an awesome responsibility? And when I say awesome, I mean twofold. I say awesome, that's why on earth did God entrust me with three children is, is amazing. Because <laughs> I know how I am. Happy, you can just be quiet. Don't say anything about me, okay? But secondly, it's an awesome responsibility because it's a huge undertaking. It's a serious responsibility that you have to train children to love the Lord and, and so on. Um, we, we are divine. Let me put it a little bit different perspective. We are the divinely appointed stewards of souls that will live forever somewhere. That's, that's, that's a great responsibility. And I hope you take it seriously. We will be held responsible for what we do with the children whom God has placed under our cares. And so the result of that or an implication is that we should use every means that God has given us to reach them with the gospel. It is God alone who, who grants us stewardship. You think about it. You only have these kids for a short period of time, about 18 years. 
And, and really, if you even think about it a little bit more, once they get into their teenage years, they begin disengaging anyway, don't they, a little bit? And so you have a short window of time to take these precious little gifts and train them and, and begin instilling the love of the Lord uh, to them. It's, it's our responsibility to raise them within the context of the gospel influence so that they might know Christ and then make Him known to generation after generation. Thus, God intends for us to propagate His kingdom from generation to generation, primarily through godly families. That's how it was in the Old Testament, and that's how it is in the New Testament. Let me give you number two. Number two, parents must believe that children were placed in their home by sovereign design. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that your child somehow doesn't catch salvation by osmosis or through some sort of a bloodline. He or she, rather, is the recipient of a sanctifying influence from heaven above by virtue of being placed in a home where there is gospel influence. That's how they come to the Lord. Therefore, because of God's sovereign grace and because of His providential design, some children are placed in a home where the gospel is lived and taught, which should give every believing parent good reason to hope that God intends to save their children. I don't think that clicked. If you are a believer and you have children in your home, you should be living with the hope and the confidence that God placed that child in your home because you're going to influence them for the gospel and they are going to get saved. That's the sovereign design of God. You're placed in that family. In other words, you shouldn't raise your children in the Lord with a passive and unscriptural presumption that they will one day be saved, but rather you should be proactive and God-centered and scriptural in your expectation that God intends to save your children. Let me give you something else. Number three, we must use every God-ordained means to reach our children. And this brings us to the passage that, that Paul read today. Make sure your Bibles are open to Deuteronomy chapter number 6, if, if they're not, because we're going to reread this passage, and then we're going to dive into some principles from this passage. But let's, let's begin in verse number 4 one more time. I'm reading from the ESV. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and in your gates. And if you don't, your children will see the gospel by osmosis. Is that what it says? It doesn't. This passage of Scripture indicates that child-rearing is very intentional. So here's the question as we begin looking at this passage today. Parents, do you want your children to live the faith that you have? Then practice the principles found in this passage 
Number one, know this, that there is only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Did you notice how he begins? It's hear ye, hear ye, almost. It's a proclamation. The proclamation is there's only one God in the universe. There's only one God that that matters. Remember the context of, of the children of Israel. They are in the wilderness. They're getting ready to go into the land of Canaan where there are many gods, right? You, you need to understand the culture because this is so fascinating. The culture of the day all the way through uh, the Babylonian Empire time. So for from this period for the next almost 1,500 years is that every city had their God. And when you conquered that city, you conquered their God. And then you brought the, that God into your pantheon. And in order to please that God, you need to find out what, or in order for things to go well with you, you need to please the God of that city. That is why when the Assyrians, and I don't know if you remember this or not, this is in Chronicles, the Assyrians conquered Israel. Things didn't go well for the Assyrians. And so they, the northern kingdom of Israel, so they said, what do we need to do? We need to bring back some people who understand the God of Israel so that these lions, it was lions attacking and eating the people. I don't know if you remember that or not. Their thinking was the God of Israel is just a little provincial God, the God of that little realm there, and we need to figure out how to please him. And what they're saying here, as you go into Atlantic, Canaan, you teach their kids there's only one God, and He is awesome. Think about how awesome the God is that we we serve. If you if you think you got God figured out, you and I need to sit down and have a little class. Uh, um, I'm reading a book right now, and it, it's called. I'm just about finished with it. I'm going to read it a second time. It's called None Greater, and the subtitle is The Undomesticated Attributes of God. And I'm telling you, that is driving me to awe and worship of God uh, like nothing I've had in in recent times. Because you just you read this, and you're just in awe. Things you never thought about God, or, or some of His attributes, like He's unchanging. What does that mean? And what does it mean to say that that God is simple? There's a, there's a concept called simplicity of God, and and you're reading that, and you're thinking, wow, what a great God we serve. And I just want to pass that on to any. Anybody I can talk to about how great that God is. Well, you parents, you need to know that God and you need to be passing down to your children. Look, there's only one God and he is awesome. Secondly, you need to have the proper response to that God and that is worship him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and what all your might. This is simply the response of worship. There is no being greater than the God of the universe. Every time there's a, there's a, there's a vision of heaven uh, from, from a prophet, whether it happens to be Ezekiel, Isaiah, or even John in, in the Revelation, what do you find the people doing? They're around the throne of God. Is that because they're a bunch of robots? Is that because they're a, a bunch of, of Borgs or something like that? No, they're not zombies or nothing like that. Because God is so awesome. Because God is so exciting. You want to be where the excitement is. And the excitement is around the throne of God. 
You're sitting here saying, yeah, yeah, well, going to the lake's exciting. Uh, you know, going going to Europe's exciting. I like going to Europe. Um, for some of you, I'm sorry, politics are exciting. Uh, I'll pray for you. But no, there is nothing on earth as exciting as God. And so reading the God in the Bible and reading books about God, the, the exegete scripture causes you to worship him. And when you worship him, you talk about him. We're going to get to that in just a minute. I'm jumping the gun. But Jesus said this. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven that he said, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he pointed him back to this passage of scripture and said, the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, or might, whichever uh, gospel you happen to look at. That's the greatest commandment. And when you do that, you have kept the first half of the Ten Commandments. And then he goes on to say, you love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. All Ten Commandments, all the applications of the Ten Commandments hang on the fact that we love God with all our heart, soul, and might. And so you respond to God by by uh, worshiping that God. And then number three, <clears throat> it requires purposeful communication. Look at the next little phrase in, the, in here. He says, you shall teach them How? How are you going to teach your children? What's the adverb? Diligently. That requires effort. That requires purpose. Mom and dad, do you purposefully communicate about God to your children? Do you make it a point to teach your kid about Christ and not just pass it off to the Sunday school teacher, to the junior church? Because I promise you, they don't, they might love your child, but they don't love your child in the way that you do. It's your responsibility to diligently teach. Now, what does that look like? You know, do you sit down every day with a little whiteboard and say, okay, kids, here's our lesson today? That's not what the book of Deuteronomy says. This is really fascinating. It's actually really easy, but I'm going to just take a little while with it, okay? So um, what does he say? Well, there's several ways that you teach diligently to your children. Number one, by your words. By your words. He says this. He says, you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So by your words, God's word should be on your lips. Now, parents, let's be honest. The only way that God's word can be on your lips is if it's in your mind. And the only way that it can be in your mind is if you're reading it. Right? You can't stick it under your pillow at night and hope to learn. You need to be in God's Word. That doesn't mean that you have to sit down every morning and read the Bible for an hour or two. You ought to read the Bible. You ought to be reading books about the Bible. But some of you I know aren't readers. Um, I I feel sorry for you. But uh, if you're not a reader, listen to sermons. Listen to podcasts. Listen to audiobooks, whatever it else. Fill your mind with Scripture. Because when it's in, whatever's in your mind is going to come out your mouth. 
what you're passionate about comes out through your words. It doesn't take me very long to find out what a man is about when I start talking to him. You know why? Because what he really loves, what he really enjoys, what he really is thinking about comes out. And, um, you know, if it's woodworking, great. If it's cars, great. If it's golf, great. But with your children, they know all that already, but hopefully what's on your mind is God or children. We serve an awesome God. And this is what I was reading about him today. It's got to be by your words. Children should hear your fondness and affection for the Word, your love for the Word, your love for Christ. And if you notice the varied situations, you'll notice that this is not necessarily a a formal teaching time. They're teachable moments. You're sitting in your house. You're walking by the way. You're lying down. I did a sermon this week, this last week at camp. Uh, Jordan wanted me to address laziness. Every parent wants you to address laziness, right? And... um. It was a fun little passage. I called the sermon Lazy Bones. And when I speak to teenagers, I do more off the cuff and more illustrations and more fun type uh, stuff with them. But if you read Proverbs 26, what you find out is that it, the, the, the picture, if you get the picture, he says, you, I walked by, he's talking about sluggards, by the way. He says, you know, like a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard does in their bed. And and one of them is, I walked by the field of the sluggard. And the idea is that he's teaching his kid. They're walking down, and there's this broken down wall. The vineyard's out, you know, not doing well. There's weeds everywhere. And he says, hey, you see that over there? That person that works at vineyard is a sluggard, and he's not going to get anything from the work that he's doing. It's a teachable moment. And parents, a lot of life is teachable moments. Teach them God's Word in teachable moments. It it could be singing Scripture songs. It could be rehearsing Bible stories. It could be pointing out scriptural illustrations. Teach your children God's Word. One of the things that I didn't know was happening in our household. By the way, I'm not raising myself up to be Mr. Wonderful Parent. This is an illustration. I, I tell people that if it weren't for God's grace, all three of my kids would be warped because of my training. And I honestly believe that. But one of the things that we learned from our children, they told us when they got out of the house, that really affected them is that at the dinner table, Heather and I would have, we would talk about theology or talk about scripture back and forth to each other. And the kids are sitting around the table and they're listening. They they would listen to our conversations that we would have. Or if we're sitting on the couch and we're talking about something. And just something as small as that, God's Word is being talked about. Theology is being talked about. The attributes of God and all that sort of stuff. And it's just a big help to the kids. They, They said that's one of their memories of growing up in our house. And it affected them. So you see, sometimes if God's Word's on your heart, you don't, um, the intentionality, it just comes out of your mouth. Okay. Number two, not only by your words, but by your symbols. You shall bind them as frontlets between your eyes. Today, uh, we call them phylacteries. That, that guy's got a phylactery up here. Do you, you know what a phylactery is? The Jews, being the legalists that they were and are, took this literal 
literalistic, I guess, maybe be the better word. And they came up with a phylactery, and so that they put it before their eyes right here. And so in that little phylactery is a portion of probably the Torah uh, right here. And he feels that he's obeying the Shema by having that phylactery on his head. But that's not what it's talking about, is it? No, actually, they, they did wear symbols of God's Word. You, you look at what it says. It says, um, bind them as a sign on your hand. Oh, by the way, and if you, if you see their arms, they wrap um, their arms all the way up to their wrists here. And there's God's Word on, on those as well, on those leather bindings that they bind on their arms. You can, you can look up phylactery and you can see it. But symbols... They, they, they were not referring to phylacteries here. Um, they were f- re- referring to different symbols that they would wear in their clothing. Our symbols today could be something as simple as a, a scripture verse on the refrigerator uh, or a well-worn Bible by your chair. You symbolize your commitment by being faithful to worship services and faithfully bringing your children to, to the children's programs. And so there's all these symbolic things that we can have. Maybe you change out the scripture verse or whatever else. But symbols, there's nothing wrong with symbols of your commitment to, to uh, the Lord. And then finally, Finally, by your lifestyle, you write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Once again, it's symbolic for a lifestyle that honors the Lord. So parent, let me ask you a question. Does your lifestyle honor the Lord? That's so important. That's more important than anything else. Does your lifestyle honor the Lord? I grew up in a more legalistic um, branch of Christianity, if I can use that term. I'm not sure the best way to, to uh, say it. But the, the mentality was, as long as you came to church and you wore the right clothes at church and you read the right version of the Bible and you sang hymns that were at least 100 years old and um, you dressed a certain way, you had your hair cut a certain way, you were one of the good people. And the problem with that was that those very people that looked apart on Sunday were maybe an angry father at home, maybe the town gossip wife at home, maybe uh, a, a depressed, um, angry, bitter wife at home, and and maybe what they said at church was different than what they did at the home in many different ways. And that hypocrisy drove many of the young people my age away from church because their lifestyle didn't match their words. And, you know, I, um, I'm not big on a bunch of standards, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I told this to the elders when, when I came here. Uh, funny story, the first church, not funny, what's the word? I'll just tell the story. Um, the first church I was a youth pastor in, or second, uh, that my long-term youth pastor in Memphis, I was there for almost 15 years. The That, that church um, tended to be a little bit legalistic. And the, the one of the guys on staff was Mr. Legalism. Uh, he was the youth pastor, and then he took a different position within the church when I came, and it was passed to me. Literally, I should have, I was not, I didn't have enough ministry experience to understand this at the time, 
but I should have cued in on it when the pastor told me now he's only got three sermons to the youth. Uh, don't go to movies. Girls don't wear pants and don't listen to rock music. And that was that was my, his three sermons. Literally the first day that I had a my Wednesday night program with the teens, I sat down and I was in Galatians, I think it was. I went through a passage in Galatians. I got to the end. I said, are there any questions? And this girl who was a senior, her name was Carrie. Carrie raised her hand. And she said, what do you think about movies? And totally unexpected. I should have expected. I just, so I just kind of looked at her and I said, you know what? I said, from my understanding is that your previous youth pastor spent a lot of time on that. I'm not going to answer your question. And what ended up happening with me is I, I received a lot of criticism from people because I never preached these things. I preached love the Lord, follow the Lord with your heart, and these things take care of themselves. I've seen it 30, almost 30 years of ministry, 30 years next year, I will be in ministry. And when somebody loves God, and when somebody learns God and learns Scripture, these things that so many people would focus on, they take care of themselves. Because God gives you a conscience that's like His. God gives you thoughts like His. God helps you, and you sift everything through a biblical grid. And that's what I want to see with the parents of our kids. Live a lifestyle that shows that you love God with all your heart, soul, and might in front of your kids, and they're going to see it. God repeated His exhortation. If you're still in Deuteronomy, turn over to Deuteronomy 11. I want to show you how important this is to God. We're almost finished here. Um, Deuteronomy 11, verse number 18. He says almost the exact same thing again. You sh- Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart, And in your soul, do you think it's important? Yes. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as friendless between your eyes, and you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting down in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Parents, God's Word should ever be before you. God's Word should ever be on your lips and on your mind and in your heart. Now, here's the question I got for Israel. Do you think they heeded that exhortation? Uh, We know they didn't, did they? As a matter of fact, uh, Moses died. Joshua continued in in, um, the, the leadership of Moses. They conquered the promised land. And the book of Judges opens with, when all the elders, when all the men of Israel died who were elders with Moses and Joshua, they didn't know the Lord anymore. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it didn't take very long. One generation was all it took, literally. Yeah, there was a remnant, but that was about it. You see it also, if you want to have an interesting read, read Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is a 63-verse recounting of how Israel did not heed God's words about teaching their children about Jesus Christ. Parents, grandparents. By the way, if you're a grandparent, you can have a massive influence on your children as well. My grandfather on my mom's side had an incredible influence on me. Just he was he was my hero when I was a young kid, all the way through college. He was a hero of mine. 
you can have such a profound impact on your children. My prayer this literally this whole week has been that God will take our, our parents and instill a love of Him in their hearts that just explodes in their life. Because our children will see it and they'll want to know that same God. We can't change the overall trend of society, can we? But we can make a difference in our homes and in our communities by the way that we teach our children and by the way that we love our our Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, kind of a serious topic today, but but Lord, as I think about it, it, it is such a huge blessing even even when I think about my own children and I think about the mistakes that I made as a parent, I realize that your grace, when you talk about your grace being sufficient and how that you, you're so powerful, I see you're working even in the lives of my children with the mistakes I made as a parent. Lord, we're all going to make mistakes. You don't expect us to be perfect, but you expect us to be growing more and more like you. I, I pray and I plead that our parents will love you that if if they don't if they don't find you that that sweet uh king of the universe that 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 glorious king that they 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 want to worship that that you will burden their heart that they will come to you in prayer and say lord please help me to worship you with my heart make me to be like you i pray also that our parents and grandparents will be purposeful in the way that they speak about God and the way they train their children and grandchildren to know you, to love you, and that you in turn, Lord, bless, bless our parents with seeing children who walk after you. Lord, we're, we're excited to serve you. We're excited that you've given the stewardship of so many little children. It's a blessing to see them leave on Sunday mornings to go to junior church just fill this church with a new generation of young people being raised up, loving you with all their heart, soul, and mind. In Christ's name, amen.